you would, join me in standing for the reading of God's Word this morning. We are in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, starting in verse number 26. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. We're going to read all the way through verse 40. Acts chapter 8, verse 26, all the way through verse 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I? Unless someone guides me. And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. God is strategically spreading his glory to every corner of the earth by the proclamation of the good news regarding his son. God is strategically spreading his glory to every corner of the earth by the proclamation of the good news regarding his son. That is what we see here in this passage. Here in Acts 8, we are in the middle of the Philip, what's known as the Philip narrative, the Philip section in the book of Acts. You remember Philip was one of the men chosen by the church back in Acts chapter 6 to, to serve tables there in Jerusalem. However, as persecution comes upon the church in Jerusalem, we see a scattering of that early church to the regions of Judea and Samaria. While the persecution seems to be a serious threat to the spread of the gospel, it actually serves to cause its flourishing. For those who are scattered, they go about preaching the word, spreading the word about Christ, the Son of God. Chapter 8 follows then the preaching of Philip as he is scattered to other regions. First, he goes to the region of Samaria where he experiences, you remember last week we saw a mass conversion of Samaritan people. You remember again who the Samaritans are. You remember who the Samaritans are. They are the people rejected by true Jewish people. They are illegitimate, unclean, cut off from the covenant promises that their ancestors once enjoyed. But now, 
As we saw last week, the gospel of the kingdom of God and of his king, the name of Jesus, comes to Samaria. And many from Samaria are brought into the new covenant by which God is forming his new people. They're being brought in to union with Christ by faith. And where once they had false worship, now their worship is oriented around the true and living God through his son, Jesus. The Samaritans receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, we see, showing that they are truly recipients of God's grace. The message of the good news has come to them, and they can now be made part of the people of God. What a blessing. What a blessing. Their ancestors had forfeit their place by their unfaithfulness, and they had long been counted outside of God's people, but now they have been made part of that fold. As we heard in our liturgy, My sheep hear my voice. They come from all of these places. They hear my voice and they come and they're made part of my flock. And the Samaritans are now part of God's flock. And this is what we're seeing in chapter 8. The gospel is bringing people from the outside to the inside. From the place of rejection to the place of acceptance inside the household of God. And this reality shapes the next scene, the scene that we're looking at today in Acts chapter 8. These two scenes, the scene of the Samaritans and the scene here of the Ethiopian eunuch are meant to be taken together. Philip is called away from the scene of mass conversion in Samaria to a desert place. A place where he will meet a eunuch from what is modern-day Sudan, down in Africa, south of Egypt. A man of some importance in the court of his land, but who has left his duties to take a long journey. He would have been on this journey for months. A journey where he seeks to worship the God of Israel. God sends Philip to help this man find his way to that worship which he so desperately seeks. And here is what we learn from this scene. I've already said it. God is strategically spreading his glory into every corner of the earth by the proclamation of the good news regarding his son. First, we see that God is strategically spreading his glory. To this point in the book of Acts, I I, I don't know if you've seen this or not, but to this point in the book of Acts, we have seen God saving his people in very big and exciting ways. Even thousands of people at a time. Exciting. I mean, the, the spirit of God is being poured out. In mighty signs and wonders and people by thousands are professing Christ as Lord and Christ. Coming to salvation. Exciting times. And, and I think sometimes to the people of our day, when we look back at Acts, that's what we long for. Oh, that God would move mightily that way again. But here, in Acts chapter 8, we see something different we see that God's strategy isn't always about the big crowd. And I would say to you that in our day, in fact, it is normally not about the big crowd. God is strategically moving to spread his glory. And I say it's God's strategy Because that is exactly who tells Philip where to go. Look at it there in the text. Now an angel of the Lord, a messenger of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Now this is a a note added by the narrator. This is a desert place that the angel of the Lord tells Philip to go to. 
Throughout this passage, we see that God is strategically directing Philip in his every move. God takes Philip and moves him where he wants him to go. As I said in the opening chapter of the book of Acts many, many, many weeks ago, this book could rightly be called the Acts of the Spirit of God rather than the Acts of the Apostles. I mean, where would they be without the Spirit? They were told to wait for the promise of the Father to come upon them. Then they would be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. This is really about God's Spirit and His work to make much of the Son in every corner of the earth. That's what Acts is about. The Spirit of God moves to accomplish His purposes to bring God's glory in His Son to the entire earth. It is His strategy, not ours. It is His work, not mine. It is His plan and purpose. Our greatest need then, our greatest need is to follow His leading, not to make up our own path. Now, I want to sit on this subject briefly. The thrust of this text is not prescribing for us a way to hear God's leading, but texts like this are often used, or I should say abused, as a justification for going where I want to go or doing what I want to do. You'll hear people say things like, well, God told me to do this. Well, God led me in that. And point to a passage like this to say, see, this is how God does it. God told me this is where I needed to go. How can you argue with that? If somebody says God told them, who am I to argue with them? But I think that, help, that language is unhelpful. God's spirit speaks to Philip, telling him what to do. But should we expect this type of clear, direct leading from God's Spirit today. Does God speak like this today? I want to give you some, some thoughts briefly on the, the voice of God, guidance in our lives in the voice of God. First, first, I want you to know God is always moving. God is always moving in every place, in every way, behind the scenes. There is not a situation, there is not a circumstance where God is not at work. God never rests. He never rests from his purpose and plan to bring his glory to the entire earth. I want you to hear that and I want you to get that. That is what God is doing everywhere, all the time, in every place. He never rests from his purpose to bring his glory to the entire earth. His glory in the face of his son, Jesus. So you can rest assured. You can rest assured That God is at work today, right now, in your life. This leads us to some implications. You can rest assured, as you sit there today, you can rest assured that you are at this very moment where God wants you to be. By his sovereign providence, God has led you to where you are today. The question then shouldn't be, where is God taking me, but where has God brought me? Why why does the future always seem more important than the present? Why, Why does the future always seem to be more urgent or figuring out the future to be more urgent than 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 living in the present moment where God has brought you? You say, well, I got here by mistake. It was a bad choice that led me to where I am. It was a sinful choice that led me to where I am. It was foolishness or a lack of counsel. Maybe I made the bad decision or a wrong decision. Or maybe it's the sin or foolishness of someone else that has brought me to where I am. Or maybe it's suffering that has brought me here. 
Maybe it's trial. A lot like, by the way, those who had been persecuted in Jerusalem. Those who were persecuted in Jerusalem for their faith and had to scatter. Do you think they questioned what God was doing? But now we see God was working in that to bring them exactly where he wanted them to be. Maybe it's failure that has brought you where you are. Whatever it is that has brought you to the place you are today, the situation, the circumstance, the life that you have right now, rest assured that you are right where God wants you to be. He is sovereignly working, providentially working in every detail of your life to accomplish his purpose, which is what? To bring his glory to the entire earth. And he's using you to do that. Stop focusing on how you got here and make much of Jesus where you are. Stop worrying about the future for he will take you where he wants you to go. This is what he wants you to do. Focus on bringing Jesus and his glory to whatever place you find yourself. You can rest assured also that God is always speaking God is always speaking. In these last days, Hebrews 1 says, in these last days, which we are living in now, he has spoken to us by his son. He is always saying, God is always saying, look at my son. Look at Jesus. That is what he's always saying. He's always speaking, saying, look at my son. Everything in the universe is about the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Everything. The role then of the Spirit, this is, this is misunderstood. What is the role of the Spirit? The role of the Spirit is to make much of God's glory in the Son. The role of the Spirit, the job of the Spirit is to lift up Jesus in your mind and heart, in your life, in the lives of others that you come in contact with. That is what the Spirit is doing. The Spirit is making much of the Son. God's will then is to manifest His glory in His Son by His Spirit. And that's what He's doing in your life right now, wherever you're at. Then you may ask, well, does God, by His Spirit, give us nudges Does God give us impressions that we are to follow? How how are we to know what we're supposed to do when we're supposed to do it? Does God nudge us by his spirit? Sure, sure. I'm not going to say he doesn't do that. But but listen, listen carefully. We could give a whole whole sermon on this, but several sermons. But listen, here's here's some really quick pointers. You can rest assured that the spirit is always speaking to make much of the son. So... God's spirit is never leading you to sin. He's never leading you to sin. God's spirit is never leading you to spiritual unhealth. He's never leading you to that which is spiritually unhealthy for you. God's spirit is never leading you to make much of yourself and little of Jesus. God's Spirit is never leading you to forsake the responsibilities He has clearly given you in His Word. God's Spirit is never leading you to contradict what He has clearly revealed in His Word. You see, there's great clarity around this movement of the Spirit. He is not a feeling. He is not a force. He is a person. A person whose role is to make much of Jesus in your mind and heart. And to lead others to see Jesus through your life and through your testimony. That's what the Spirit is accomplishing. God is speaking today. Truly, He is speaking today. He has spoken in His Son 
How do I know how the Spirit is working? He is pointing to the Son and making much of Him in my heart and life. So, focus on making much of Jesus where you are. Focus on this work of God in your life to conform you to the image of Jesus. That's what He wants. And He will take care of the rest. He will move you where he wants you to be. And often he will use circumstances that you wouldn't ask for. But he will be faithful to move you strategically where he wants you to be. Your only role is to be faithful to this call to make much of Jesus wherever you find yourself. Look at where God strategically leads Philip. He leads him, it says right there, to a desert place. This is a nothing place. The only reason you would go to this place is because you are on your way somewhere else. Have you ever been to a place like that? Some of you are from places like that. No reason to be there except you're going somewhere else. But God has orchestrated there in that nothing place, he has orchestrated a meeting of great significance. What do, you, what do you think when you hear the word strategic? What do you think of when you hear the word strategic? Strategic communicates a goal. We're going somewhere. We're coming up with a plan to get there. Imperative to strategy is making sure that your team knows what the goal is that they can define it clearly and know how they fit in their role for accomplishing that goal. You've got to make sure everyone is on the same page or you're not going to reach your goal. It also communicates, this idea of strategy communicates an ability to see the whole board all at once. Some of you love those strategy games, right? And you can see the entire board all at once. You can see where you're going, what you're doing. I'm going to make this decision because later on it's going to have this implication and this import here. You love the strategy. Seeing the whole board at all times. God is strategically spreading his glory. God God sees the whole board. He knows exactly what he's doing. And he wants you to understand the role that you play. He wants you to to see the vision. I mentioned this a few weeks ago. I I grow tired of the pastor, the growth models for churches where they talk about, you know, express your vision clearly. Tell people where they're going. I, I struggle with that because God has made it abundantly clear over and over and over and over and over again where he's taking us where we're going. It is not for me to make up some vision to take the church in some direction. What is God doing? Let's define it. God is making much of his son Jesus. That's where we're going. That's what we're doing. And that's going to require us to, as we're going to see here in a moment, open our mouths and proclaim him. And it's going to require us to conform ourselves to his image, right? By the work of the Spirit. This is what he's doing in our lives. There's no new vision that I can deliver you. This is what God has given us to do. And here's the wonder of it. You have a vital role in that. What makes this a strategic place? What makes this desert place a strategic place? This is important. Uh, the, the, the father of modern acting, Konstantin Stanislavski, I'm sure that's a name all of you know, he said this. He said, There are no small parts, only small actors. No small parts, only small actors. And I'm going to steal that idea for a moment and change it a bit. You see, 
in God's strategy to bring his glory to every corner of the earth, there are no insignificant places. There are no small places. The significance of a mission, the significance of a mission field is not determined by the significance of the place, but by the significance of the message that is proclaimed there. The significance of a ministry is not about the size of it or the significance of the place where it is conducted. The significance of a ministry is about the message that is proclaimed there, the God who is proclaimed there. There are no small places. Only small gospels that fail to make much of him. This is a significant strategic place because Christ will be proclaimed there. I thought of that this past week as I thought about young moms and young dads with their children at home. As you bring the truth of the glory of God, an infinite God, infinite in his glory, infinite in his power, infinite in his plans and purposes, you're bringing the truth of that infinite God And of his son, Jesus Christ, you're bringing that to the little heart and mind of your son or daughter, your little boy, your little girl. Say it's it's just small ministry. Oh no, that's not small ministry. Because it's not measured by the place. It's measured by the message that's proclaimed in that place. You say, we can have crowds of people. This is what I'm saying. We can have crowds of people, but if we are not proclaiming Jesus clearly, it, that, that is an insignificant ministry. We are not here to grow crowds, but whoever is here, we are here to make much of Jesus. And that is what Philip has taken to that desert place to do. There are no small places where God is proclaimed. God is strategically spreading his glory into every corner of the earth. Every corner of the earth. There in that desert place, Philip finds a man far from his home. Look at the description given there in the text about the man. He is an Ethiopian. He's a eunuch. He is the treasure keeper in the court of Candace, the queen of Ethiopia, Sudan, modern-day Sudan. Why is he there in that place? Well, he's on his way home from visiting Jerusalem where he had gone to worship. And he is there in that place reading, of all things, reading Isaiah, the prophet. What took this man all the way to Jerusalem? Well, we see that he has left his duties, significant duties, to take a months-long journey. Worshiping the God of Israel is important for him. He has been drawn to the God of Israel somehow, some way. Some think he is possibly a proselyte, or maybe that he's of Jewish descent, born and raised in a foreign country. We know, whatever the case is, we know that from this description, God is already at work in this man's life. God is drawing him. God is moving to bring him to himself. Drawing him to himself. I heard this, I heard this uh, definition of evangelism this past week, and I thought it was good. Evangelism is joining in on a conversation that God has already started in someone's life. Evangelism is joining in on a conversation that God has already started in someone's life. I think that's a good idea. I think it's a good definition for us to hold on to. God is the one working. He is bringing us to strategic places, no matter how small, to bring 
the proclamation of the good news of his son. We also see that this man, being drawn to the worship of the God of Israel, this man is a eunuch. Now this is how he will be described throughout the rest of the passage, as the eunuch. What's going on there? Well, it's important for us to understand a cross-reference in Deuteronomy 23. Deuteronomy 23 tells us that no eunuch, this is the law, it says, no eunuch can have a place in the assembly of the Lord. No eunuch is allowed in the assembly. This means that even as a proselyte or a Jew born in a foreign country, this man would have been kept out of the assembly of God's people. So so get this. This man takes a month's long journey because he's drawn to the worship of the God of Israel. He makes this long journey to go and worship in Israel and he would have been kept out of the assembly. He would have had to worship from some distance. But there's another reference to eunuchs in the Old Testament that's important for us to know. And this reference, this reference is powerful if we'll understand what's going on. Deuteronomy says no eunuch will be found in the assembly of the Lord. But here in Isaiah 56, I want you to listen to Isaiah 56. Isaiah 56, 3 through 8. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree, for thus says the Lord. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, To the eunuchs, he says, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. The foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, he says, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Isaiah 56 says, The day is coming when the foreigners and even the eunuchs will have a place. Will have a place in the assembly of God. That's what Isaiah 56 is saying. And this man, this man is sitting up in the chariot reading Isaiah. What's being said there in Isaiah 56? God is bringing people to worship him in his holy mountain to his house of prayer, people from all nations, people from foreign nations, even eunuchs who are not accepted into the temple worship. He is giving something better than the heritage of children. He is giving them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. God is spreading his glory into every corner of the earth. He's drawing people to himself that have been cut off from him. He is drawing people to himself from every tribe and language and tongue and nation. He is drawing people to himself. And these people need someone to help guide them on their way. God is spreading his glory strategically into every corner of the earth by the proclamation of the good news about his son. And that's what we see happen next in our text. There in Acts chapter 8, when Philip approaches the chariot, he hears the eunuch reading something. And he's reading Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7 and 8. Here's what Isaiah 53 says that he's reading here. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice has been denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Philip hear, hears him reading this. And out loud, 
he asks him, do you understand what you're reading? What, what, a, what a softball, right? He hears him reading this passage from Isaiah, and he says, do you understand what you're reading? But what does the eunuch say? How can I? Unless someone guides me. I need someone to explain to me what this means. I need someone to guide me. Here, the eunuch expresses the need that every single one of us has. We need someone to explain to us the meaning of the scriptures about Jesus. We need someone to explain to us the good news of Jesus and his kingdom. Did did you know that someone can understand the Bible without understanding the Bible? That's what's happening here with the eunuch. He understands what the scripture is saying because it's words and phrases. He, he, can under, he can read, but he doesn't understand the meaning of it. He doesn't understand what's actually being said. In this particular case, the lack of understanding, it's not about sinful, stubborn heart. This man wants to understand. He wants to know what it means. He's already demonstrated the desire to find and worship the true God, and yet he still needs someone to help him, to guide him, to interpret for him, to explain it to him. He needs an interpreter to give him a right interpretation. This implies that there is a right way to read Isaiah 53. Did you know that? There's there's a right way to read Isaiah 53. And that's what the eunuch wants to know. I want somebody to give me the authoritative interpretation of what this means. Who is this passage talking about? That's what he says. About whom, I ask you. I know it's talking about someone who has been killed unjustly. But I don't know who that is. I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? Who who is this that was like a lamb offered up like a sacrifice? Who is this that was slaughtered like an animal? Who is it talking about? Who is this that was humiliated and denied justice? Who is this innocent that was killed by wicked people? Who? What kind of people would be so wicked to kill someone like this? Whose life was taken from the earth? Can you imagine what a moment that was? Can you imagine what a moment that was? Who's this talking about? The Ethiopian eunuch says, who is this talking about? My friend Philip says, have I got news for you? Then Philip opened his mouth. He opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. I've got an answer to your question. I want to tell you who it is, and I want to give you the news that you need to hear. He begins at this passage because that's where the man's question lies, but this is only the beginning of his explanation. He tells the man the identity of the one who has died. His name is Jesus. He also tells him who kills Jesus. The the people, the very people that you've wanted to connect your worship to up in Jerusalem, they're the ones that killed Jesus. That's the wicked generation. Wicked men are responsible for the death of this righteous one. But he goes on to tell him, very possibly in in the same context that Isaiah 53 is, Listen to this. He goes on to tell him, but he, Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. So he gives him the meaning of the death. He gives him the meaning of the death. Jesus died at the hands of wicked men, but it had meaning to it. He died 
for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord, Yahweh, has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then the most staggering reality, he tells the Ethiopian eunuch, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. It was Yahweh's plan. This is Yahweh's plan. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. It was all according to God's plan, Philip tells the Ethiopian eunuch. God has made an atonement for man's sin through the death of Jesus. But he's not through yet. Maybe he goes on to share some notes from Peter's sermon. You remember Peter's sermon from Acts chapter 2? This Jesus who died, who died according to the purpose and plan of God, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, was crucified by the hands of lawless men, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus who was crucified. Philip explains the good news of Jesus. He answers the questions that the Ethiopian eunuch has. And then we see the Ethiopian eunuch respond in a similar way to those who responded to Peter's sermon. You remember how they responded after Peter was done when he said, God has made him both Lord and Christ. This, this one, this Jesus who was crucified, he is raised up and declared to be both Lord and Christ. Do you remember what the response was from the people there? What shall we do? What shall we do? We're in trouble. What should we do? Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sin. We know that's communicated somehow because the eunuch asks the question in response. He, he simply, sa- simply says, Behold, there is water. Behold, there's water. Why not me? Can, can I be baptized in his name? Can I identify with this Jesus who you've told me about? Why not me? And he commands the chariot to stop and they go down into the water and he baptizes them there in public identification with Jesus. And that is where the Ethiopian church starts. Right there. As this man goes back on his way home. But do you see the disposition of this man as he goes back home? He goes on rejoicing. Rejoicing. Because he has met the Savior And Philip has taken on to continue preaching the good news. He's taken up the coast, the coast, the Mediterranean coast there, all the way up to Caesarea preaching the good news, all the way to Caesarea. And by this we see a signal, the gospel is going to the highway, the highway for the nations there along the coast of Israel, 
the gospel is spreading to the uttermost parts of the earth. Let me ask you this morning, where has he brought you today? Where are you at today in your life? Where are you at this very moment? Is your focus more on where you're going or how to get out of where you're at or how to change your situation? Or are you embracing the strategy of your sovereign Lord who has brought you exactly where you are supposed to be today? Where has he brought you to make much of his son? Who is he drawing to himself in your life? Did you know that God is always at work drawing men to himself? God is always at work by his spirit drawing men to himself to spread his glory, to make much of his son. He's always doing that work. Who are you connected with where that work is going on? You say, I I, I don't know. I don't know who he's doing that work with. Well, who's asking questions? Who's asking questions? who's, Who's experiencing difficulty in their life? Who's experiencing some level of suffering? This is often how God is drawing men to himself, causing them to turn from themselves and look for him. Who are the people in your life? I do think sometimes when we think of evangelism, we think that evangelism requires us to go stick our foot in the door that's being slammed. Right? To go stick our foot in the door. No, you will listen to me. It's okay sometimes to kick the dust off your feet and to move on. Because he's not drawing everybody. Some people are shutting the door. They want nothing to do with it. Move on. It's okay to move on. Because he is drawing some to himself. And he has placed you strategically in a place to make much of Jesus wherever you are. Maybe it is, as I referenced earlier, maybe it is your young boy or daughter. Maybe it's your home. You say, well, I I want more significant ministry. I want more impactful ministry. No, no. So you don't understand importance. You don't understand significance. There are no small places. There are no insignificant ministries. Only insufficient gospels. Bring the truth of who Jesus is into the situation where you find yourself. And there are people, I can guarantee you, there are people that God is ministering to and drawing to himself. Maybe it's your two-year-old that you sit down with and read board books with about the bigness of God and the greatness of Jesus. Do you know how significant that ministry is? Maybe maybe it's simple ministry here as you speak to people here about Jesus before you leave. Where has he brought you? Who is he drawing to himself? Do Do you come to church looking for the people? Did you know we have people come every week, just about every week from I don't know where? People invite them. People ask them. They just show up. Sometimes I feel like I'm the only one that like will go and, and, and you guys can do that too. I don't have to be, or, or our deacons and elders don't have to be the only people doing that. You can actually go and ask them as well. What brought you here? Who are you? We have visitors today that haven't been here before. Have you introduced yourself to them? Maybe God is drawing them. Do you see your role? Do you see your role in this mission of God to bring his glory to every corner of the earth? Do you see your role in that? Do you see your role in explaining the meaning of the gospel? And there is a difference between the facts of the gospel and the meaning of the gospel. We can ask people, do you understand that Jesus died? They rose again? Yes, yes, I understand that. But what does that mean? What does that mean? Do you see your role in explaining the meaning of the gospel to those that God has brought into your life. He has chosen strategically to make us part of his mission, to spread his glory 
to every corner of the earth by the proclamation of the good news regarding his son. And he's, he's brought you in to that purpose and that plan. What an amazing thought. What an amazing reality. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this truth that you have included us in this mission to spread your glory to every corner of the earth. We confess, we confess that we like to think of ourselves bigger than we really are. We confess that we, we like to think of ourselves as needing more significance than you've chosen for us. We confess that we have an enlarged and warped view of what it means to do important work. I pray that you would humble us today, that you would cause us to see the significance of the place that you have brought us. Lord, maybe maybe it's a marriage where people need to see this. Maybe it's parenting where people need to see this. Maybe it's a desire for ministry in some formal sense. I pray that you would bring this truth into every one of those situations that we would embrace this place you've brought us to, that we would embrace the significant ministry that we have to explain and to proclaim the good news about Jesus to those in our lives. And give us wisdom, Lord. Give us insight to see. Help us to see those in our life that are asking questions or that are experiencing difficulty, that these windows of opportunity, these doors that are being opened for us, that we would be ready to step through them, that we would be ready to obey the Spirit's leading. Give us wisdom. And give us such a view of you and your mission to make much of your son that we would readily look for opportunities to make him known. And I pray that you would accomplish this work in, in this church, in our community. Lord, we know, we believe that you are calling men and women and children from Spokane Valley, from this place that you've brought us. We know that you're doing that work. I pray that you would give us faith to believe that and, and the faith to, to step through those opportunities and into those opportunities that you give us. We pray all of this for your glory, for the glory of your Son. Pray that you would do this work. Amen.